Hello and welcome to Always Take Notes. In this episode, Simon spoke with Anna Davis, who is the head of Curtis Brown's Creative Writing School. Anna talked about the experience of setting up and developing the Creative Writing School. She explained how it was different doing that under the aegis of a literary agency than in an academic or university context. And she talked about her own career as a novelist. Enjoy. So Anna, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, I wanted to start uh, really diving in in the middle of it about you know the birth of Curtis Brown Creative. I was reading in, in the documents you send over about how it was you and I think this, this guy Jake just in a room teaching the first batch of students. And I was wondering if we could go back you know to that stage and you could explain this is what eight, eight years ago that it, it was all starting, how, how it began and how how you got to be involved and what it was like right at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on as well. Um, yeah, I mean, in a way, the beginnings go even further back than that. Um, I, I'm i a writer and I was for a time a university lecturer. Uh, and I was already at that point working for the Curtis Brown Literary Agency as well. So I was sort of, I was um, uh, doing quite a lot at once. You were agenting um, or you were sort of scouting? Or you well, were... I mean, at that point, I was working, negotiating contracts. I was okay. the contracts manager. And the reason I was doing that was um, because I'd, I'd been torn between being a writer and being a literary agent. Really, okay. my, my career is one of um, trying to do too many things mm-hmm. and then trying to sort of narrow it down and going in odd directions as a result of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I had... Um, I had got this job part-time as contracts manager at Curtis Brown because having got my first book deal, um, I felt like I couldn't really be a literary agent. And actually now there are quite a few literary agents who also write. But at the time, I mean, we're already going back away to the sort of mid-90s. And I remember talking to my then employer before I was at Curtis Brown and saying, could I go part-time? And they sort of looked at me over their sort of spectacles and said, you know, a part-time literary agent, you know, how can you do that? So um, I got this job at Curtis Brown negotiating publishing contracts. And um, and then I also, because I felt a bit unsatisfied by that, um, became a lecturer in creative writing at Manchester University, which was where I had also studied. So where were you living? I was living in London. Okay. I was living in southeast London. But I would go uh, a couple of nights a week to Manchester. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I really liked it at first. I really, I just... I've always loved working with new writers who and, and sort of helping them develop their ideas and write their ideas and get the best out of it. So I was really enjoying teaching on uh, what was then the MA in novel writing. I think they've changed the format now. Um, and while I was there, um, I worked with a young writer called Jonathan Tregell, who um, was working on a book called Boy A. Um, Which became The Smash, right? Uh, no, it, became, it, it was Boy A. It yeah, was, yeah. Oh, I see it, what you it, mean. Okay, yeah. the, like, <laughs> yes, it did. The title yeah. remained the same. It became an international bestseller. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah, um, yeah. so um, I worked with him very closely editorially on that. Okay. And um, I introduced him to one of my colleagues at Curtis Brown who got him a deal. And then he won a prize, the John Llewellyn Rees Prize. Um, and then another of my colleagues who was starting up a production company as part of the Curtis Brown overall sort of umbrella of companies uh, was looking for projects to develop for film. And so I connected Jonathan up with her as well. And she really loved the book Boyer. 
Um, and it became their first big movie. And, the, it, you know, I got to see this whole arc of something that was an idea that a young guy just out of uni was working on and needing some help developing mm. right the way through to the prize winning book to the movie. And the movie starred Andrew Garfield. It was his first. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it sort yeah. of won BAFTAs. And, and really that whole process, um, it just said to me, that if I that there were ways of working with novelists that could be actually a little bit more practical and kind of pointed than I could really do under the auspices of a university master's where you've got to also think about academic criteria and grades and uh, external examiners and all of those sorts of things. Instead, I thought if we run courses um, from the literary agency, then we can... Um, we can really, really sort of help people in the most direct ways and try to sort of maximise people's talent and also just not be all about literary. Yeah. Um, you know, we, um, we do have some great literary writers that have come out of Curtis Brown Creative, but we value genre writing, commercial writing, uh, just as much as, as literary fiction. And we really, we work very hard to try to um, get the best out of whatever project that author is wanting to work on, help them to realize their own intentions for it. Obviously, not everyone's going to get a deal, not everyone's going to get uh, an agent, but I like to think that we find people who have that potential. So yeah, I um, at some point I jacked in the lecturing in Manchester because I really did get sick of the train journey um, and sort of trying to spread myself too thin. And um, it was this was back in like 2000 at the time I proposed uh doing the course to um my then boss and he sort of said well it's not really our core business and so I kind in of 2000, in 2000 in 2000 yeah your, your and, boss at Curtis Brown at that stage uh yeah so my boss was Jonathan Lloyd at that okay, stage yeah. and I think you know things have moved really fast in publishing and even in agenting which doesn't change very quickly mm -hmm. but at that point he just sort of was a bit confused as to why we would want to to do that. Um, and then basically sort of 10 years later, I think the world had moved on a bit. And um, I had a similar conversation with Johnny Geller. It was he was talking about how we could how we could work more with writers at an early stage and, and finding ways to work with them that. Uh, and not possible for the agents within their working day. And I said, well, I have a bit of a plan for that, actually. And I yeah. kind of got the plan out and dusted it off. And this time, um, you know, in this different phase and with different sort of, you know, figures at the helm, uh, he said, yeah, I think we should go for it. So we did a kind of experiment, really. I was still working um, as the contracts manager at that point. And um, I was also um, representing some of the literary estates there. That was my my main agenting role. Yeah. I had represented some living writers, but I was mostly working with the dead. Um, and, um, and yeah, so again, it was that thing of, I really like working with young writers, new writers. When I say young, I don't necessarily mean young in years. I mean, you know, young in terms of their writing experience. Sure, yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I put it to, I put it to Johnny. He said, let's do it. Um, and we did it. We started with a three month course. Um, what, what year was this? 2011? This was 2011. Yeah. yeah. So yes, it was, uh, I asked Jake Arnott, who I knew slightly, who was the author of The Long Firm and right. various other, um, novels, but no, you know, most famously The Long Firm, if he would like to teach it with me and he was quite up for it. Um, and so, yeah, we just decided, okay, we'll run it 
we'll run it in the evenings. We'll have a session a week in our boardroom at the agency and um, some extra sessions where the uh, the writers would get to meet the agents mm. and the agents would bring in publishers or authors. So with those visiting, visiting sessions, as it were, um, we felt that that way the authors would not only learn about an author's perspective or an agent's perspective on things, but they'd learn about those relationships as well. You yeah. know, how, how an author works with an agent, how an agent works with a publisher. So that's, you know, that's part of the thing that we do as well. We're sort of demystifying the publishing process and sort of showing some of those relationships that make it work, really. Um, was anyone doing anything similar at this outside the university context at this stage? Well, Faber Academy was running by okay, then. Right. Um, and in fact, I remember when I first saw the press release for Faber Academy thinking, oh my God, they're doing the thing I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, not that they had any access to my idea, but it was just, it was frustrating to know that I'd had a similar idea, which I hadn't been able to make happen before theirs happened. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it did help me um, at Curtis Brown to be able to say, hey, look, it works they're doing it um i've got my own take on it did you see there was this guy i think he's like an ex-banker or something like that and he was pitching some an idea for a publishing firm that would yeah like that would, he was saying this is insane the way the industry works in no other industry do you expect people to become fully fledged you know under their own steam and then take them in and his idea was that you would take people at a much younger and much you know less formed stage but through a really rigorous selection and you would sort of mm -hmm. take them through to to developing i mean i don't know if it moved if it if it got any traction but it did seem interesting as this idea that you you know where where the interplay would happen i think that is i think that is really interesting i mean and in a way that's part of what we do you know yeah. we're trying to look for people at that really early stage where there's potential um, and then help them to help to, to bring it out, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd be interested in what his financial model was for, for his way of doing it. But Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know. I yeah. don't know if it progressed. And I wanted to, to kind of roll back from that to your own experience of, of being on the other side of creative writing education, so, so at Manchester. So this was a mm. postgrad that you did yeah. yourself. Okay. And so, had you, yeah, what, what had taken you, what had got you to that stage of wanting to do that? Um, well, I mean, I was just one of those kids that always wrote. Mm. And um, when I was at uni, um, as an undergraduate, um, I was doing English and American literature, but there was one unit that you could take that was creative writing. Okay. And I really, really loved it. And I have to say that there wasn't very much in my degree that really um, sort of got me excited. I didn't find in terms my of what degree, you were reading. generally speaking. Well, I mean, the reading was fine, but I, I didn't sort of feel like... I'd always had this idea of, of, of university that I'd sort of have incredibly exciting lecturers and tutors and I'd be kind of buzzing with ideas and yeah. and I just didn't really feel like that at university on the whole. Um, there were one or, There's one or two exceptions to that actually. I had one or two really, really good um, tutors. Sure. But the thing that really got me going then was, was when I did the creative writing unit and I was in a group that was a really um, sort of high-powered group actually, just sort of coincidentally um sophie hannah was in that group uh and sam bain and jesse armstrong who are um bafta winning uh tv and screenwriters um and there were one or two others who ended up getting published as well so we were just all undergraduates together even and then uh, while we were undergraduates our tutors michael schmidt and richard francis decided that they were going to launch 
a master's in specifically in novel writing. So you'd been at Manchester for your undergrad yeah. as well? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they, uh, they decided to launch this MA in novel writing. And really quite a number of our undergraduate uh, group that had been in that little creative writing undergraduate class mm-hmm. decided to take this master's. And then there were others as well, obviously. But um, there was really quite a number of us at the heart of that. I think we were all quite bonded. We were all really fired up about it. Um, about our own writing and each other's writing and um, so yeah we had um, I went on to do that Um, I sort of had I had a sort of odd bit of financial assistance that sort of got me going into it as well which is sort of a bit it's a bit of a weird one but um, my mother died while I was an undergraduate and she was actually a lecturer herself in the Open University and um, I got a pension (laughs) As because um, I was still in education, okay. um, you know, her, her the the lecturer's pension scheme paid me out this pension, and the pension carried on for as long as I was in in full time education, mm-hmm. and so actually there was a there was quite a motivation to go straight from my undergraduate into a master's and continue to have my pension okay. for a bit longer. So I was really excited about writing, but also I knew it was the one point in my life where there would be money to help me do it <laughs> and how was that that course stretch i think in the in the text you said over you said there was a year of workshops and, mm-hmm. and kind of support and then a year on your on your own to write yeah yeah that's right um so yes i mean really it was all about that year and this group of us hung out in that year mm. but ironically for me um the novel i was writing in that year i mean i was incredibly immersed in that ma but the novel I was writing in that year really ultimately wasn't working. And yeah. I think the more did I learned... Did I tell you that? Or did you have to No, that no. I mean, I always got good feedback. I always got quite positive feedback um, on, on the material I was sharing. But I was just learning a lot about, you know, the structure of a novel, what really underpins it, where it's going. I mean, I think, I think something you do have to watch a bit, I think, when you teach creative writing and the way that it's often done in universities Mm. is that it focuses so much on short extracts of material that you can lose track of the overarching structure. The kind of watchmaking element of putting a novel together or something like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so um, I did pretty well in that first year. And actually, I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't a good MA because it was. And I learned a lot, but a lot of what I learned also then needed to be taken into another project rather than the one that I was working on there. So what happened was we had this year that was taught and then a year where you were just you just basically had up to a year to finish off your novel. You had to hand in the whole novel to get the MA, which is unusual in the creative writing sector. And I don't think Manchester does that anymore. I think they've changed the structure of what they do. So, yeah, um, you're sort of working away with all this kind of support for a year and then you're just totally out there on your own to finish off. And I came to London. I initially got a job for BBC magazines and halfway through my finishing off year, I suddenly had a different idea for a different novel um, where, I mean, I was literally um, in the shower one day and um, I sort of... It sound, this is going to sound ridiculous, but out of the sort of corner of my eye, I saw a massive octopus on the floor you of the bathroom. Which was a towel. Which was a towel. Mm. And um, it was just a towel. But it's just that moment where sometimes uh, you sort of think you see something out of the corner of your eye, um, which is 
not at all what you, you know, it's not what you think you see. But for just a moment, your brain registers something that isn't really there. And then, of course, a moment later, you understand what it actually is. And um, I just sort of found this quite striking. And I started thinking about how it would be if you were a person who that just kept happening to all the time, only bigger. And you just kept seeing things that weren't really there and you became confused about what was real and what wasn't. Um, I mean, it's not it's not that original an idea, but at the time for me, it really sort of struck me. Mm. Um, And then I was imagining that person in a bit of a state going into a really formal situation such as a dinner party. And then I thought, well, if you if you had a novel in which this happened and that this person was going into this dinner party, um, how that would play out and. And then, then it was like suddenly I had this whole different novel there and I thought I know the shape of this novel and I feel like I can manage to do it in six months because one of the problems I had with the previous novel was it just didn't really have a shape. I didn't really, that shape wasn't there. Mm. And here I was kind of like, I know this is happening across an evening. I know I'm going to divide it up by the courses of, 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 the, of the dinner party. It's going to be hors d'oeuvre and then it's going to be you know main course and whatever. And... Um, uh, and uh, I rang my uh, tutor and said, look, am I allowed to start again? And he said, do you think that's a good idea? You've only got six months left and you're working, aren't you? And I said, mm-hmm. yes, I'm working full time, but I know I can write this and I know that I can't finish the other novel. And so he said, OK, go for it. And um, so, yeah, I had this kind of quite intense six months of uh, writing around the edges of the full time job um, and sort of thrashed out a really rough first draft but it got me my MA and it went on to be my first published novel which was The Dinner um, so so yeah that was in the end uh, I mean that MA did a lot for me it taught me a lot I wrote my first novel there and it also sent me into publishing which is you know obviously the other area that's been massive in my working life. What fraction of the students on that MA became published authors? In that particular group I mean uh, well, so there was me, Sam, Jesse. So there were about six out of that sort of group of 15, I okay. think, who who ended up being quite published. Quite a high return, quite a high strike rate. Really. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that was an unusually high strike rate in that yeah. group. Um, but, you know, we have a pretty high strike rate yeah, in, yeah. Uh, in, in our courses as well. I mean, you know, I think if you are... If you are selective about who you take, if you are really, um, you know, if you pick, if you pick carefully and you think about novels that really have some mileage in them, then, um, you know, all sorts of things can happen. It's exciting. So I want, I wanted to kind of extrapolate from that to like, the, you know, the big question about creative writing education. We, we said exactly the same thing or asked exactly the same thing to Richard Skinner from Faber when he had him, you know, the sceptical view being that this is a, a mysterious and interior process that can't be taught and, and all of that. And that, um, you know, what would be, what is your answer to the, to the naysayers or people who would say that, and I think they're diminishing in number, uh, but mm. people who are sceptical of, of the idea that you can have a kind of teaching environment for this kind of work? Well, I mean, Every other sort of creative art is taught, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you're an artist, you're likely to go to art college. If you're a musician, you're not going to rock up and start playing in in an orchestra without doing some training. I think you can learn a lot through um, analysing the craft, um, unwrapping it, looking at its component parts, you know, coming to a better understanding 
of, of what's inside a novel. And it's different when you look at it as a writer than it is when you look at it as, as a student right? of... Yeah, yeah exactly. I think that's very true. I think it's a totally different thing. Sometimes when our students start working with us um, and they're looking, at, um, they're looking at novels and talking about novels and talking about their own novels, they talk like English literature students. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a different thing. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can take someone with no idea and no creative ability and flair and turn them into a great writer. Yeah. I don't think you can do that. But what I think you can do, if you, um, if you can identify people with talent and ability, you can really help them to develop that ability and to write something to the best of that ability, sure. to, to learn to play to your strengths. And the other thing that we do as well is this thing of teaching about the publishing industry mm. and how to pitch and how to, um, how to connect with that. Because I think that's the other thing that many writers um, can write beautifully but they can't get their hustle on. Basically. Yeah, 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 and you know, and it's difficult, and not everyone, you know, many of our students will make a, you know, will make a face at the thought of yeah, having yeah. to pitch, but they have you know, to. They have to, yeah. And some novels are easier to pitch than others. That's mm. the other thing. And I mean, at the end of the day, it is still the novel itself and the writing that is the most important thing. You yeah. can have a fantastic pitch, but still not find an agent and a publisher. But if you can get it all working together, if you can work out the best way to talk about your novel, to interest someone in it, and to make them have an appetite to read it above other things on their submission pile, um, and if you can work on your opening so that people want to read on. I mean, you know, sometimes our students are, are kind of saying, oh, I don't really want to workshop my opening because I feel like I've done loads of work on it already. But I will say to them, but the opening is the most important part of your novel because it's the gateway to your entire story. It's that point, you know, if you don't get that opening right, no one's going to go further than the first page, yeah. first paragraph, first sentence, you know. So, so yeah, that's... Um, no, very, very astutely put. And I should say, I'm not one of the skeptics myself, but I knew we had to, we had to put that question, no, sure. question in the room. Um, can we talk about the, the kind of pragmatics then of how, how it all works from, from selection to, to the actual, how the, the teaching works? You know, basically, how, how does the academy function from the student's perspective and from your perspective? Sure. I mean, I should also say we do two different kinds of courses now as well. Um, the, the ones that I'm mainly talking about here are the ones with the selective applications okay. system where we always have just 15 students. But additionally now, I'll just mention this because it is actually a significant thing in what we do as well. Yeah. Um, we also have much shorter courses online which are uh, where you can just pay and enroll. And for those, those are really about us trying to give... Um, to put together a lot of our best teaching material um, for people who can't necessarily afford the course. I mean, we do run some scholarships, but nonetheless, it can be difficult for people or who just want to dip their toe and uh, just have a little, a little taster um, or for whom writing is something that, you know, they, they've got something that they want to uh, write and perhaps improve their writing but they're not necessarily wanting that massive big intensive experience so we, we run those kind of courses too and um, I mean actually there's even been published novelists come out of those now um, okay. and I'm very proud of them but anyway so that's over to one side the sort of short short courses we do the courses that I really see is the kind of 
jewel in the crown of what we do are these selective applications courses. They are both in our offices in London uh, and also online because quite quickly it became apparent that, you know, there were lots of people who wanted to study with us who couldn't possibly get to London. Mm. And so online we try to recreate uh, as closely as possible what we do in London. So, yes, um, we invite people to send us in the first instance the opening of their novel up to 3,000 words and a page that tells us kind of a synopsis, but it can be very rough, some idea of where they think they're going with it. Um, And we have an application form which asks them various questions about, you know, why they want to do the course and things like that. Do they have to be unpublished? Or have you had published writers? We have had published writers, yeah. yes. We don't make that uh, distinction. Yeah. I mean, I think when it's a published writer, we have to think very carefully if we think we can help them, yeah. um, what their situation is, what it is that they want from us. Mm. So we'd have to sort of think about that carefully. Um, but, um, but yeah, we have, we have had... Uh, and in fact, some, for example, um, there's a, a novelist called Claire Pooley whose okay. um, novel is coming out uh, in uh, 2020. Sure. Uh, and she got a very sizable deal. She'd previously had a very successful nonfiction book, but she still felt that she wanted to come and uh, and get help with writing her novel because that was a new area of writing for her. And, um, and it was really terrific. We were delighted to have her on board. Um, but yeah, so um, we get them to send in this, these materials and we don't read any of them until we hit the closing date. Uh, I don't think there's that many creative writing courses that function that way, actually. Um, so literally it's not just it's that not we're rolling applications. No, it's yeah. not rolling applications. So we're not, and we're not doing that thing of just sort of having a vague sense of kind of screening people. And as we're going along and deciding whether they're good enough or not, as we yeah. go along, we literally, we have the closing date, um, at the closing date, we then read everything. And when I say we, it's, it's me and my small team, um, the, the team that's in the office. Occasionally, the tutor will join in with that. Usually, the tutor doesn't, though. Um, usually, it's me. It's uh, Jennifer Kerslake, who's a former publishing editor who worked at Weidenfeld and Nicholson. Uh, and it's uh, Jack and Katie, who are who are my uh, beloved team, who do... Uh, they're amazing. They do everything. Um, and we read everything. Uh, and then uh, we go out for a Thai lunch uh, just around the corner from the offices. And we argue vehemently for... For quite a long time okay so how many applicants do you get <laughs> oh we get loads i mean it really varies uh and how has that changed since since the start well i mean it, we we had masses for the very first one and then okay. it's been sort of up and down and up and down since we always have very many more than we have places on the course can you give a ballpark is it five to one is it ten to one or is uh it- well so I mean, sometimes it's 200, sometimes it's 70. I mean, right. I would say it's sort of between the two. If yeah. we have a scholarship for, for, for running... For 15 places. Yeah. yeah. If we have a scholarship running or if we have uh, something else going on that's putting us in the public eye, then it can push it up in number. Um, but the other thing I should say as well is that the standard of applications is very high. Yeah. Um, so it's much higher than, you know... You, you wouldn't like this if we get 70 they're going to be a much stronger 70 than a random 70 novels on Curtis Brown's slush pile mm. um, because I think that the people who apply to us usually are quite serious about their writing um, they've usually uh, already already done quite a bit I mean not always some of them are writing for the first time but on the whole I would say the people we have applying are really interesting 
uh, with something to say, um, taking seriously, and yeah, the the standard is high. What's the average age? Well, it really varies. It can be anything from someone just out of uni to, I mean, I think we had someone in their late 70s. Okay. We've had someone in their 80s on the online course. The average is probably in their sort of 30s to early 40s. Um, but usually in any group, there will be the full spread. Okay. So we will choose our 15 and it's always delightful the first time we meet them. And um, what's the male-female split as well in terms of applicants and... Well, there's always more more women than yeah. men. I think in any um, creative writing type environment, sure. you'll find more women than men. There was one course where we had more men than women. Okay. And I quite enjoyed that because it was just different. It was a sure. different energy. How so? Um, pardon? How so? Were they all overconfident and <laughs> convinced of their genius? Um, a little bit. But no, yeah. that's that's not fair, actually. It just, it just was different. Okay. Um, I can't really quantify it now, but it was yeah. different. Um, and I just think it was also um, nice for all concerned that um, that it wasn't the usual thing of women walking into a room and thinking, oh, yeah, we're all women as usual. Or the men right. walking into the room and thinking, oh, yeah, there's the other two, you right. know. Sure, yeah, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, it tends to be, I would say, about nine or ten women okay. uh, in the final group and then, you know, five or six men okay and it's exclusively for novel writing it's exclusively fiction or do you are there courses on screenwriting or narrative non-fiction or things like that well the the selective courses that we run in in the offices and online are all about novel writing um that's it's partly because i mean that's like the big ticket really you know i think that most of the people who um who are writing prose fiction who come to us that's what they want to study. That's where we began um, on our kind of big mailing list of, of people. They're mostly people who want to write novels. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so it, it's at the core of what we do. However, we are um, in the shorter courses that I mentioned, these kind of taster courses. We're branching out in that area now. So we're just, for example, just running our first courses in writing short stories which is led by Cunnan Jones who's an award-winning short okay. story writer um, and we've got our first course in writing memoirs led by Kathy Rensenbrink who again okay. I think we think is brilliant and uh, coming soon in the offices in the selective courses area I am currently working on our first course in um, writing TV drama which okay. um, I will be I mean again I think the other thing about what we do uh, in the selective space in the offices is that because we have, you know, these strong links to the industry and the ability to move people's careers on potentially, yeah. um, it's important to us that it's structured in a way that it's possible for that to happen. And so, yeah, after lots of years of thinking about it and talking about it, I think we are very shortly going to be putting together a course where I'll be working alongside my colleagues who represent um, screenwriters and directors okay. and, and that area of, of the agency. So I'm quite excited when, when about that. When it's applicants for this, is it done, is it like like with a, a kind of university marking where their names aren't on them? Is that is it sort of anonymised or do you know who the people are? What, when they apply? When, when they're applying or when you're making decisions? We don't anonymise. I mean, maybe we will in the future. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably something we should think about. Um, but at this point, we don't. But we're just really focused on on the work. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, we, we really, we're totally focused on the 
work and then you know obviously at some point we have to have a look and i mean we do we do want to see um why people want to study with yeah, us uh though we could do that without their names on there admittedly so um yeah i mean but also i mean it's quite um yeah, I've got to think about the anonymity thing, actually. I think that could be something, that could be a route that we should be going down in line with yeah. the way that recruitment is starting to happen these days. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really all about the work. Um, and as I say, we, we usually argue vehemently about it. Occasionally, I pull rank okay. um, <laughs> if it really comes to it. Um, but I haven't had to do that which, for a while. Which Thai restaurant is this? I'm fascinated. Oh, I'm not even going to say. I'm not even going to say, just in case um, next time we close for applications, there's someone sort of (laughs) sitting out there to see what we're doing. Um, And then the course itself, how is it, for the the 15 who are accepted, how does does it work? So um, they, I mean, to to focus really on the office-led ones, Mm. though the online is actually similar. Um, For the office-led ones, they come in, they come in once a week where they have a two-hour session, which includes workshopping of material from their novel um, and some teaching on um, sort of important topics to writing, such as plotting and planning and characterization, etc. And that comes from a published novelist who is their tutor. We we only have uh, tutors who are published novelists with a significant track record and who have teaching experience as well. Uh, so they come in once a week for Could that. Could you give some examples of who, who you've had as tutors? Uh, so, uh, well, Jake Arnott was our first tutor, and actually he's about to come back and do another six-month course okay. with us again. We've got uh, Charlotte Mendelssohn is teaching in the office very shortly. We have Laura Barnett teaching for us, uh, Simon Rowe, um, 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 my mind's going blank now, but there, sure. yeah, there's a whole... We, we, we keep the bunch small, actually. I mean, it's a yeah. small team of people who, um, who come back time and again until they need a break. We only really bring somebody new on when one of the existing tutor team needs a break, which they do, you know, um, because um, we work very closely with them and they with us. I think there are many creative writing courses where they just basically let leave the tutor to do their own thing. But actually we have, there are very specific ways that we do things. A Curtis Brown creative workshop is always run in a very specific kind of way. Um, And similarly, the tutorials are run, you know, that they get some one-to-one tutorials. Those are run in particular kind of way as well. The tutorials happen just before their weekly class. Um, They also then get a bunch of extra sessions, which um, I think I've already mentioned an agent from the organization from Curtis Brown or C&W, our sister agency, uh, comes in with um, an author client. So, for example, you know, we've had Johnny Geller come in with David Mitchell, mm. the writer David Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we've we've had Claire Conville coming in with Matt Haig. You know, we have we have some really great people come in to talk to the students. Um, and uh, or they come in with a publisher as well. So they have these sessions and those sessions, there's only the 15 students. They're not suddenly finding themselves in a much larger group with loads of other people. I mean, that's one thing also that we do. We don't we don't run lots of groups at the same time of our courses um, because we feel that that would diminish the quality. Um, we really believe that uh, we need to protect the quality 
we need to make sure that every group we have is working at a really high standard and then you can have a high level of discussion you can create really great peer groups and they will go away from um, the course afterwards and continue to support each other and be trusted readers for each other so that's also a really important thing about what we do and I hear all the time from former students of ours who are still working together and supporting each other's writing years after the course finishes some of them publish some of them not um but yeah so it's a six month it's a six month program we have six months and three months okay sure yeah and how much of the kind of value added that you know you have this very impressive track record of publication how many published deals is it the number you sent me is like 70 or something right? yeah it's 72 uh, yeah. there's about to be a uh, what we call a deal cluster as okay. well because there's a bunch of um there's a bunch of former students who've actually just got deals but the deals haven't been announced yet okay. and uh as we're recording this the frankfurt book fair is coming going, yeah. and i think there'll be a big deal there'll be a whole load of deals announced just before the frankfurt book fair so uh i think probably by the time this podcast goes out sure. the number will be bigger so it, and is that 72 deals or 72 writers with deals 72 writers with deals okay. and that's out of how many have been through your doors well yeah so that i mean i can't give you the number off the top of my head yeah. that probably represents in each group i think we end up with two or three getting um agents and deals in each of the groups in a way i can't give you the full number that it's out of yet because um there's a there's a, a time lag between students sure. finishing and being ready to send their novels out yeah. so the recent groups um most of them won't be ready yet okay but yeah there's so yeah i would say on average two or three a group there's some groups where there's only one there's some groups where there's five or six and the actual kind of worksheet working on the texts how does how does that work they have their tutor and then a series of tutorials or what's yes that? so the tutor they have workshops with the tutor and the group yeah. which are based on extracts in in the way that happens we we have some tweaks on that but yeah. it, uh, that in many creative writing uh, contexts they have tutorials with the tutor where they can again they can get the tutor to look at further extracts or they can talk to the tutor about plotting um, and, and other issues that they're kind of concerned about. Yeah. Um, they can also, when they do their, their workshops, they can ask specific questions. You know, they can draw the group and the tutor's attention to particular issues that they're struggling with and really make sure that they get the best out of their own workshops. And then towards the end of the course, um, they have a tutorial. These days, it used to be me doing most of these, but these days it is usually um, some of the younger agents in, okay. um, in the agency. Um, who are very actively building lists, who give a longer tutorial where they look at a longer section of the novel and a synopsis that the, um, that the students will have worked on during the course as well. Um, and in those longer tutorials, that, that junior agent will be talking to them about their perception of the project as a whole, um, how it might work commercially, uh, so they might have particular thoughts about how to make it work commercially. Um, they will also perhaps talk to them about the particular agents that are likely to be more interested sure. in seeing it. Then at the end of the course, um, the, the full agent team gets to see some material from all of the novels and we have a drink session. We don't do anthologies. We don't do uh, on mass readings, partly because... 
I actually think those readings are excruciating. Okay. I think lots of lots of places do them, universities do them, but I think everybody hates them. Okay. The the students get terrified. The agents don't really want to sit through listening to 10, 15 people reading one after the other. Um, you know, usually then one student gets mobbed by the agents that are there. Right. I just think it's a really, a really horrible experience. Okay. So what we do instead is have this thing where the agents get to get to read some material and they can signal to us projects that they're particularly interested in. But we will also then uh, have a kind of much more informal drinks occasion where people can really connect and just, yeah, just just more informally over a drink rather than with some terrifying reading. I mean, of course, there always does come a point where some students are going to get offered representation and some are not. But another thing that I say to both students and tutors is, look, we're at the end of the course. Um, there's some work to show. There's some work for you agents to read. But this is not the end of the story. Mm. These students are not finished with their novels, you know, most of them. Um, this is just a taster of, of what they have. And then when their novel is ready... Um, my team and I help them to submit their novels then sure. to, to the agents. And how much does it cost? So the uh, the six-month course is, I think it's 2,900 and something. I can't okay. remember the, the precise yeah. figure off my head. So it's just under 3,000, uh, which is expensive, but it is cheaper than our main rivals. Okay. Um, and it's a lot cheaper than doing a university MA. And yeah. what I'm continually told is that the level of work, the quality of work in our groups is much higher than on, well, any of the MAs that any of our tutors have ever taught on. And our yeah. tutors have taught on quite a lot of MAs. Um, and I've also been told that the, the, the students get more time and attention. And sure. just, you know, so, I mean, there are some great MAs out there, but I think we've got, a, we've, we've certainly got a, a, a role to play. I mean, of the, the you know, the value added that you're bringing and, and the thing that's leading to this strike rate, how much of that do you think is the, the working on the mechanics of novel construction and prose? And how much is it this kind of introducing people to how the literary marketplace works, how interactions with agents work and things? What do you think is the, is the, is the biggest and most valuable takeaway that people are taking from this? Hmm. I think the work they do on their novels in the classroom with the tutor yeah. and with their group is the biggest thing. Okay. Um, I think that I think we do some really good work in that classroom, and the fact that we have this highly selective process yeah. means that you can you can really make very significant strides with your writing during the course. Sure. Um, the agents the agents content and the publishing content is really useful for people, but it's not it's not the most important thing. Yeah. And I wanted to, to come back to what you touched on earlier, like the, the how what you're doing compares to the university sector here. Mm. So, you know, the the kind of MFA, the creative writing MFA has exploded as a phenomenon in or MA since, you know, over the last few years. Do mm. you think that there's, that there, I mean, there is a kind of benefit in having something that is more rooted in, in the publishing world rather than in, in academia? Is it a more natural fit to run this? In that, yeah, in that definitely. I mean... I don't want to say that people shouldn't take creative writing MAs or MFAs. I mean, yeah. I, I did an MA myself and, and they can be they can be a great experience. Yeah. But I mean, many people do those and then come and do our course. You know, okay. um, I think that we're just we're just real world. It's real world stuff. It's practical. Um, you know, I think that grading is is pretty useless yeah. uh, when when you're looking at it's it's not useless. Um, if you're interested in a certain kind of academic or very, very literary uh, perspective. But 
um, you know, if you are writing a crime novel and, uh, you know, you come and work with us, we'll help you to make your crime novel one that is going to work with the market. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, we had, um, I mean, to just take an example, we had um, a thriller writer, Laura Marshall, who came and studied with us in London. And, um, you know, it was it was some good material she was writing, but it, it did have a really strong hook. And I think we really helped her to work that hook mm. and also to get the novel right. But effectively, she wrote this novel um, and I think she was calling it something like um, Words Can Never Hurt You. Which this became Friend Request. This right. became Friend Request, yeah. yeah. So it was at the time it was called Words, Words Can Never Hurt You and she had a, a bit of the opening. But we we helped her to get very crisply to... The point which is effectively the hook which is so the hook is you know there's a woman who gets a friend request on facebook from someone who's uh, dead, someone who's dead yeah. who died many years ago and um you know and she she started to understand on the course when she was pitching it that that was the hook and then i remember having it was when i was still doing tutorials i remember giving her her tutorial at the end of the course and we we ironed out some problems. We got rid of some characters. We focused it so that it was moving more quickly. We were doing a lot of that kind of stuff. But also, I just said to her, "Look, you need to write this quickly now, and you need to call it friend request." Okay. Um, you know, and which you felt was did. a kind of because of your knowledge of the marketplace and things like that was that what you were bringing with that, or because you were a practitioner yourself and had done it? What? How did you know that was what you needed to do? That was because of my knowledge of the market. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that is where, particularly for that kind of writer, I think, um, you know, I knew that we were at a point in the market with psychological thrillers, psychological suspense, where the market was huge for that, but it was peaking. So there's still a lot of psychological uh, suspense coming through now, but it's not, that market is not where it was at a few years ago. Yeah. And it felt to me like, she needed to get in there quickly. If she if she went away and took three years over writing this, then she might, you know, she could miss her moment. So I wanted to say to her, look, this is the moment now. This is the time to launch this kind of novel. Uh, and I knew that from from being there in the agency, from mm. working with the agency. And I knew that title was the one to go for, same reason. And I think that's that's the thing, that you can approach it. That's what we can do that universities can't do. You know, yeah. I'm working with agents every day. Um, I know what's going on, um, and and I can I can bring that into the into the picture with with the teaching that we do. So I was on a um, residency in America a couple of years ago, and there was a guy. We had a workshop. It was about narrative nonfiction, but the guy who was teaching that said he taught that in an MFA context, I think, in the US, and he said he forbade uh, he forbade memoir because he said that you know everyone turned up wanting to write about like their massive trauma and it was all too emotionally laden as a teaching tool it was useless because people were sort of breaking into tears in the classroom and, mm. and everything like that and you know they couldn't he couldn't teach writing because it became a sort of disclosure session is there anything that you discourage people in terms of material to write about or mm, is interesting well I guess it changes over time yeah. um I mean whatever I say now that I would discourage you know, maybe two years from now, I'll be saying, you know what, there's loads of them around now. Sure. I mean, um, so you that would be on a based on a sort of market viability perspective that you were coming from for that. Yeah, I mean, I think I would never stop a student from yeah, when it comes to market viability, I would never stop a student from writing what they want to write. But I might warn them that 
you know, I, I've, I've sometimes sat down with students and said, look, this is a really great novel and it's going to have to be even better than maybe it would have needed to be three years ago mm. because where the market had a real appetite for this at that time, it doesn't so much anymore. And that doesn't mean that you can't get your book published, but it does mean it has to be so absolutely brilliant. We have to make it the best it can possibly be for it to stand a chance. You know, it ain't going to be a slam dunk. Yeah. You know, those, those I've had those kind of conversations. In terms of subject matter, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've, I think we've occasionally, we've, I mean... I've not ever taken a student writing flat out erotica. Okay. Um, because I just think it's not, I, I mean, I would never say never, but I could, I could see that in terms of if you're writing into, there are certain genre areas where it really might be difficult for that work to function well in the classroom. Mm because probably everything that we're going to be telling that writer to do in order to make their work better is actually unfortunately not going to work for their genre. Right. Um, that's that's the main obvious Do they one, have to actually. work on the thing they pitched at application? Or can they say like, you know, someone will give a writing sample and then come in and be like, you kind of have the experience you had when mm. you were doing your master, like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Can I do something else completely? Yeah, we, we've had people who decide they want to write something else either just before the, co the course starts or partway through. Yeah. Um, if it's before the course starts, uh, then we are likely to ask to see uh, to see what their thing, see something of what they want to write because yeah. effectively they've been offered their place on the basis on the of... Basis yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've offered it for that particular novel. So then we might say, well, okay, um, because yeah, what's what people sometimes do is send in material from a novel they've kind of finished mm. with the idea that they want to write something else. So then we'll we'll say, yeah, well, look, you need to show us what it is you're going to write, and then partway through as well, if people want to change what they're doing partway through, then it tends to be in close conversation with their tutor. Um, you know, we we wouldn't want to make someone slog away at something that they know. Is, has not got wings yeah. um you know if there's something else that they're feeling really excited about but we do need to feel like you know sometimes people do need to be encouraged to think very carefully before abandoning something yeah. because you can just abandon something that actually has real potential because you're briefly stuck and when you're a little bit stuck in your writing, it's very easy to think that something else, which is all new and shiny in your head and hasn't been muddied by being put onto paper, um, that that has more potential yeah. and, and it's not always the case. And what about with your own writing? Is that, you know, you, you mentioned when we were in correspondence, that, uh, you know, your creative energy is going into the, the um the teaching at the moment do you have ambitions to go back and write more novels i do i'm like the worst example possible for my students at the moment okay. unfortunately because i'm really not writing at the moment I, i've been uh the truth of the matter is that curtis brown creative has been um really taking all my creative energy for quite some time yeah. um and you know i kind of i've been loving it really um but yeah i'm kind of slightly tortured about my own writing and i had a couple of years where I was really, really slogging away on an idea which I didn't have enough um, sort of regular time to be doing justice to. And it was starting to be, uh, it was starting to upset me a lot that I couldn't really, I couldn't really get on with it. Uh, I mean, one thing about if you are a university lecturer is you can take sabbaticals. Yeah. Um, and 
our business, well, and certainly my role in the business doesn't really allow for that. You know, people would say, are you going to be getting up early in the morning to write before you go to work? Well, the truth of the matter is I'm probably getting up early in the morning to do more Curtis Brown creative stuff before I go into the office. You know, I'm very fired up about it. I will get back to it. I think that probably what I will do is in a couple of years time try to get to the point where I can take a bit of time out or take a step back yeah. um, but we're still I still think that we are a fledgling um, organization um, and I still feel like I'm yeah it's it's my it's my baby that I'm I'm growing are there others I mean there's there's you guys there's Faber are there others kind of coming into the the marketplace oh yeah i mean there's loads um yeah loads mostly online but not entirely okay. online um i'm not going to give any of them a name check <laughs> that's, that, that's <laughs> within, yeah. within your rights suffice to say faber faber and we are not alone yeah yeah okay all right look anna well look, thanks for being such a, a fascinating guest and wishing you all the very best with um uh curtis brown creative going forward and also your own writing thank you Hello, it's us again uh, with an update from our lives. Ellie, you've been in the wars. Yes, I've been absent from the last few episodes because I keep having various afflictions. Would you uh, like to share them with the listeners? Well, I'll just briefly uh, go over. A few. Yes, I had an infection and then the medicine I took for the infection gave me a rash that was quite severe. And then I had my wisdom teeth extracted on Friday. So I look like I've got mumps. I look square, don't I? Turn your face slightly. I've got no jaw. Please tell me I look different because otherwise that's so depressing. No, I think you do look a little bit different. All my features have kind of sucked back into my face. Interesting. I mean, the real question is what's next, you know, affliction-wise? I think I'll have dry socket. What's that? Dry socket is when the blood clot from your extracted wisdom socket um, dislodges and then the socket is dry, which means it becomes incredibly infected. Have you been doing some hypochondriac Googling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and does it show? Um, what about you? You poor thing. Or genuinely, it's, this is, I'm, I'm sorry you've been it's ill kind. and well. Um, I have been, well, I'm doing some paternity cover at the moment as um, for an editor. So I'm actually in an office um, on a daily basis, which is a major change to my daily rhythm. What's the benefit of being in an office? Human companionship. Um, so that's, that's going fine. Any dogs? There are no dogs there. It's a shame, actually. Um, but I've also, I've just closed this piece um, on uh, the French Mouth and Guides exam, which we're not allowed to discuss. But I just, how many episodes running have we discussed it's it's this a, piece? Well, no, there's some other ones as well. Uh, I'm also writing, based in the French I'm Alps. I'm writing another piece based in the French Alps. Oh, my God. Uh, that's going well. Um, and Also for Outdoor Magazine? No, Outside magazine. Sorry. <laughs> Outdoor magazine. <laughs> what is that like? Oh, uh, it really hurts. Don't um, make me laugh. Just explain that Ellie rocked back in her chair and then was overcome by agony. <laughs> no, I, just, I can't laugh too much or the the gum starts to get in the way. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> wow. um, uh, that is for out, outside magazine, magazine. and then yes. the other is for uh, 1843 and then the third Alpine story is for National Geographic I read your piece about the pub quiz oh really I enjoyed it thank you I'm still it. waiting for someone to make it into an award winning offbeat British film well so. that is that is what's happening to many writers especially in the US now especially in the US option for Netflix um, 
Anyway, slightly subdued uh, exit for us because Ellie is, is in the wars. That's all right. Um, this has been Always Take Notes, hosted by me, Simon Aikum. And me, Eleanor Halls. Our producer is Nicola Keane. Our graphic design is by James Edgar. And our score is by Jess Danheiser. Please uh, rate, review and subscribe uh, on iTunes. And if you'd like to tweet us, we're Take Notes Always. Uh, or leave us a message on Facebook. It's Always Take Notes. And if you fancy supporting the podcast on Patreon, we're at Always Take Notes there as well. Many thanks. Bye.